Yo, what's good, everybody? Arson here. Or Carlos. Or whatever you know me as. So, five weeks? I, I believe that's what we have left in the, like, uh, reviewing period, I guess if you want to call it that. Uh, because I've already said that the cutoff date for all of my year-end stuff is d- December 3rd. Uh, this is going up the first week of November. I don't know exactly which date, but yeah, there's really, really not a lot of time left. And it's, it's actually starting to hit me now that like, I'm just getting closer and closer to the point where I'm going to be doing what the whole point of the last, you know, few months have been for reviews and all that shit. Um, because like my, myself and, or I was going to say myself and other reviewers, I don't really want to call myself a reviewer. I'm just kind of like a weirdo shithead who has opinions that he wants to uh get out to the masses the masses being all you know few dozen of you uh but you know still masses nonetheless don't think that i'm uh disregarding how many people of you actually listen to this because it's really really cool um but like the whole purpose of doing this kind of review stuff is so that at the end of the year I can compile everything into a list and be like hey look this is what I thought of music in 2021 this was the result of all of everybody's work um so yeah that's actually about to happen really really soon and that's sick man i I genuinely cannot believe that we're about to get to that point um and i've already said before how it's gonna work the week of i believe it's december 6th through 10th will be the top 100 songs of the year and then december uh 13th through 17th is top records of the year records encompassing both albums and eps um and i don't know if i've already said this but i had decided that i'm going to limit it to three songs per artist for the top 100 songs list um although with the records list if an artist had more than one record this year that i believe should be on that list then you know they're going to go on there i'm not going to punish a band for or an artist a band for you know impacting my fandom on more than one occasion so yeah that's that's what's going to be happening man that's again that's crazy uh cannot believe we're actually going to get to that point but we are and it's gonna be a lot of fun i'm really really excited for it uh, i'm also excited for this chapter because i'm gonna be looking at new releases from the likes of boston manor Whitechapel, attack attack blackville brides safe face calling all captains and limp biscuit and then there will also be a couple singles from the likes of Maggie Lindemann, Volumes, Crown the Empire, like Master Flames, uh, Cobra Starship, a couple of others that we'll get into. So, yeah. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy this chapter. So this is the part of every chapter where I take a little bit of time to get into whatever news is happening in the scene, like current news. And there is a big news story from last week, and it's not necessarily one that I want to get into because, like, it's just, you know, very, very depressing and fucked up. And I also feel like I don't have a lot to add to the discussion. There are plenty of 
like sources out there, whether it be like through social media or YouTube or other podcasts, whatever, who can relay the information regarding all time low better than I could. Um, all I will say is you got to stop you meaning like all of us, you got to stop like putting these artists on pedestals and believing that like they can do no wrong. Um, there was, I I think it was their Instagram, not their Twitter, but when they posted that statement where they're like, yeah, all four of us, you know, got together to write this thing, which sure, whatever, uh, you know, comments being like, oh yeah, I, I I knew, you know, he, he could never do this. And it's like, shut up. Everybody can do something like, you know, for, for as, okay. Everyone, everybody is capable of doing the right thing and doing good in life. And in that same conversation, everybody is capable of doing some really hard shit. So, you know, just stop it with the whole, oh, this person would never because like you would hope they would never, but the reality is that they could. So yeah, that's kind of just where I want to leave that off. Just, you know, stop putting people on pedestals and hold them accountable when shit like this happens. So now I want to go ahead and get into the singles from last week that I picked out to kind of talk in detail on. And the first is going to be my overall favorite song from last week. It was number one in Scenic Overlook. And I, I, I've kind of figured that this is going to be a really, really important song to me for a while now. Um, it, it's been teased kind of at length for a minute now. And just like that, I guess, viral marketing for this song to the point where during its uh like live premiere over the last couple of tour dates uh last two weeks maybe the crowd knew the words and the song didn't even drop until last friday so um you know i want to take this time to just appreciate and admire the brand new single from maggie lineman called she knows it I should probably be careful with how, like, I talk about this song and why it means so much to me without incriminating myself. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, straight face, straight face. Let me try to be serious. Let me try to be serious. Um, so I have gassed up Maggie every chance I get on this show because I don't really see or hear many others in the scene doing so. So Maggie released the Paranoia EP back in January, and just in my opinion, that is one of the strongest releases of the entire year for, you know, EPs or albums. Like, there's just something to that release that has this weight that I don't know if I can necessarily find in other releases from the scene so far this year. Um, like, just the, the expertise and the prowess that she showed in those songs it was kind of unexpected to me. Like it almost came out of nowhere. And I think a lot of, uh, those like, um, advances that she showed in her music carries over to, she knows it. She knows it is kind of a, it's a very simple song and I'm not going to pretend that it's not. It's definitely something that you could have like heard on the radio back in like the two thousands or maybe even the 2010s. It doesn't feel something that is like so exclusive to this time frame. 
Um, yet it, it also just has like this really modern and contemporary take on pop punk that I think is I- incredible. And the way that Maggie delivers every part of this track is something that I think everybody should really go out of their way to hear. Um, I, I think if anything, maybe one of the reasons why some people might be hesitant to see Maggie in like a scene light is because she does have that like MGK and Travis Barker seal of approval, which is also a seal of disapproval for a lot of people in the scene but i will say that maggie eclipses whatever it is that someone might think of when they think of like current pop punk and that whole tiktok revival scene maggie exists in a level that is like you know all to herself and she crafted that all on her own she is a fucking star and she is so goddamn talented and again i think she knows it is an extension of everything that she's been doing um I'll also acknowledge that, like, yeah, this song, you know, maybe has some issues as it pertains to the lyrical meaning. Uh, the chorus, you know, kind of says everything. I like a girl that's got a boyfriend. I can't seem to get her out of my head. She knows it should be me in her bed. She knows it. She knows it. She knows it. Yes, it's toxic. Yes, it's cheesy and corny. It's a played out concept. I understand all of that. The music video itself also doesn't really help the case of this song being like this really, really unique package. But I think where the unique factor comes in for She Knows It is Maggie herself and the personality that she has, the character that she brings, and just the way that she is able to execute this song, I think is just leagues ahead of what other artists would have taken this concept like uh, uh, for a direction. Um, and yeah, that's kind of really all I wanted to say. I think the song is excellent. Again, simple, short, but it's just... It, it, it feels like kind of groundbreaking in my opinion and i legitimately just cannot get enough of this song i can't get enough of maggie in general i i think for this to be the lead single for lp1 which is dropping in 2022 um you know she's on the right track she's done everything correctly so far and i don't see any reason why this woman cannot become like one of the faces of pop punk in the future if not the face of the genre Okay, so what is next on this list for me to talk about? Set it off. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, of course it's set it off. So, set it off just dropped a brand new single called Skeleton, and I don't want to hear any fucking sign about this song. Just to make it clear, the reason why I had that kind of a reaction to set it off right now was because I can't really think of many other bands out there who I have as much of a love-hate relationship with as I do set it off. Um, I was and still am to this day a big defender of duality. I do acknowledge that it kind of sheds some of what made, actually a lot of what made set it off so unique to our scene, but I still really liked it. I still do to this day really, really enjoy that record. Upside Down in 2016, I was defending it at the time, but since then I've gone back to hear it and I don't think it aged very well. I'm just like, this is not what I remember it being. And then when Midnight dropped in 2019, maybe 18? No, I think it was 19. Um, I couldn't really back that record the way that I wanted it to. So yeah, you know, I go up and down with Set It Off. It, it fluctuates very rapidly. Um, with Skeleton, I am 
I'm ready to stand down again, y'all. Like, I really, really fuck with this song heavily. I think it is a good representation of what pop set it off can bring to us. Um, I do enjoy, like, the minimal instrumentation in the chorus, at least compared to the verses. Um, there's a section, like, in the bridge where Cody Carson, he has, like, this rapping bit, and to me, at least, his flow and delivery, it reminds me a lot of Ronnie Radke, which, you know, you can take that as a good or a bad thing, depending on how you view that stuff. For me, personally, I think it's a good thing. Um, and yeah, just so many different cool elements came together to make Skeleton what it is, and if, if this is gonna be, like, the direction of set it off going forward, I'm, I'm hyped about it. We got the fourth single off of the new volumes record called Happier out on November 19th. It is the title track to the album. This is a pretty fucking goaded singles run that volumes have been on. Uh, Waited would be considered the lead single, I guess, for the record, even though that has been out for kind of ages now, I guess. Um, but it's Waited, Get Enough, Bend, and now Happier as the singles for Happier. Uh, what Happier, the title track, does is it brings everything that I love so much about volumes into this one incredible package, that being the vocal dynamic between Mike Terry and Michael Barr. That vocal dynamic is what is making me so excited for this record in a way that I don't think I've ever really been for a Volumes album before. I I've loved Volumes this whole time. It's just right now, I feel like they're at the top of their game. They're reaching heights that they never had before in terms of like how well they get across their sound. Just um, like, you know, the the balance between heaviness and then that softer, like almost R&B kind of side. I really, really enjoy this. I think Volumes are doing everything right currently. And on November 19th, I'm fully expecting to have something in my hands that I don't, I, I won't be able to let go of, and I'm going to have a lot of great positive things to say about on this show. Year of the Moth. It'd still be that time. It is not going to stop being that time anytime soon, because the Friday that this chapter is being dropped, the new EP from Like Moss of Flames, Pure Like Porcelain, is releasing, and we just got the second single off of it called Views from Halfway Down. This is following the Preservation of Hate, which was the prior single. I talked about it recently back when it dropped, maybe like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I don't remember exactly when it was. Um, I had great things to say about that song, I believe. And then I have even more positive things to say about Views from Halfway Down. This song is fucking incredible. And uh, it actually kind of, I don't want to say it like shows a different side of Moths because we've heard more melodic based stuff from them before. But just in comparison to the Preservation of Hate, I think Views from Halfway Down really accentuates the versatility of Chris Roeder and just his ability to kind of be whatever type of vocals he wants to. And I think that is really, really fucking dope to see. Um, it, it, it's a little bit along the lines of what I mentioned about volumes and like you can hear the heavy and softer sides of that band with uh, the tower track that I just mentioned. And then with views from halfway down, I feel like that is also applicable, but just with that moths twist on it. And, you know, I will always be open to hearing new shit from moths and it's really, really, like, um, I'm, I'm just really, really excited for the EP coming out this Friday, Pure Like Porcelain. Uh, 
yeah, go listen to Views of Halfway Down. It's fucking amazing. So later on in this chapter, I'm going to be looking at the new releases from Limp Biscuit and Attack Attack. And I came into this week believing those were going to be the potentially the only two like comebacks that I would discuss. And then new Cobra Starship. What the fuck? Cobra Starship are back. They just dropped a brand new song. It's called Beautiful Life. Correction, actually. It's only, like, sort of a comeback. They're not back in studio or touring or anything like that. They're not an active band again. They just put out uh, one of two unreleased songs that I believe were written as part of Hot Mess. I could be wrong about that. Uh, And we have Beautiful Life right now. The other one will come later on, I'm assuming. Um, (laughs) This was really, really, really well done. And I'm not talking just about the song, but, like, the actual lead up to the song because uh Gabe Saporta who is the vocal was is whatever the vocalist for Cobra Starship he had this video where it's like him doing a parody of that video Steve made for the Blues Clues anniversary I- I'm pretty sure all of you know what I'm talking about and it was fucking immaculate dude I loved that video so much and it was just like this really, really cool little nod to everybody who was around the scene back then. You know, I myself being one. Yes, I was like a kid who wanted to wear fucking like purple snapbacks and purple jackets and the striped shirts and fucking skinny jeans and Supras. Like I was so into that culture. If I wasn't like wearing like the band merch that has like the cartoon gore on it, that's what I was doing. So Cobra Starship like really, really touches this like specific nostalgia part of my life and hearing beautiful life it's just god it's fucking amazing dude i i love this song i really really do wish cobra starship wore back full-time but you know i i understand it's it's part of their past and uh, for all intents and purposes all intents and purposes gabe is very successful doing his management stuff so yeah um maybe someday cobra starship will actually be back full-time but for now beautiful life is enough Brand new single out by Always Never. This one is called Same Page. Always Never is perfect for like when I just kind of want to break from like that core scene music sound and something just more laid back and relaxing and chill while also being like very like gripping at the heart in terms of lyricism. Uh, they've had a couple singles this year. I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but they've all been bangers and same page is no different. Very, very good song. Uh, just like that soothing melody with the guitars all throughout it. And then the vocals just being like at the perfect pitch, if that makes any sense. It, it's all just like this formula for a, a really, really memorable song. I love Same Page. I couldn't give it the love that it deserved in Scenic Overlook this past weekend, but I really, really wish, you know, I had. And yeah, the song is it, it, incredible. I love it. So up until last week, Crown the Empire had never released a song with only screaming in it. And that was kind of surprising. I guess I just in my head assumed they had done that before. 
but they finally did it. It is called Dancing with the Dead. My dude Hayden put in fucking overtime for this track, y'all. Like, he fucking killed it. Uh, so this is the first song where Hayden kind of acts as the primary vocalist rather than the backing one. Usually it's Andy Leo who is, like, the, the frontman for Crown the Empire, whereas this time he is the one that's uh, backing and supporting Hayden with screams. So, like, it, it's this really, really cool dynamic that we've never actually seen from Crown the Empire before. And for a first attempt at it, like, this was perfect. I cannot get over this song. Cannot get over how heavy it is and how much I love it, despite it being, like, this, uh, venturing away from what it is that I normally love so much about Crown the Empire. Um, you know, for those who don't know, and I I've said this before, and maybe y'all thought it was a joke, but I'm not fucking kidding. Retrograde is my favorite Crown the Empire album, and that is, like, n notoriously the softest Crown the Empire record. But with something like Dancing with the Dead, this is just beyond stellar, beyond anything that I could have imagined it being. This track fucking goes, dude. I love it. Two more singles I want to get through. The first one coming from Under Oath. It actually features Ghostbane on it. It is called Cycle, and it is off of uh, Voyeurist. Is that what that one's called? On January 14th? Yeah, I believe that's the case. Stylistically, I really, really like the direction that the singles for Voyeurist so far have been going in. Uh, I definitely think Hallelujah has been my favorite, and what I will say about the rest of the material that we've been given to work with so far is, like, it, it feels kind of raw in a way, and like almost industrial-based, but also, like, it still has that refined under oath sound that I think there were hints of on Erase Me, but now they're kind of taking that sort of direction into something that is more grounded in like chaos and destruction if that makes any sense uh with cycle the incorporation of ghost main it kind of makes everything that i've been saying about like the chaos and destruction it makes it makes it make a little bit more sense in my head um ghost main comes in during the bridge and he's not necessarily like rapping or, or doing something that would be akin to his own solo material uh he kind of blends in with what under oath would be doing otherwise and i think he was a very very cool feature for this track i think having someone like ghost main on under oath is just like it's really really dope to see under oath kind of embrace the newer age of the scene given that they are scene veterans themselves uh yeah there was a lot to love about cycle and are we like halfway through Voyeurist now? Voyeurist, I don't know if it's like 10 tracks or 11, 12 maybe, um, but we, we've heard a decent bit of it and I don't think there's any reason for anyone to doubt what Underworld they're going to be doing at the start of 2022. The last single that I will be talking about today is not actually a single, but I didn't know how else to categorize it when reviewing stuff last week. So Church has put out a deluxe edition of Screen Violence 
And I had already reviewed Screen Violence back when it dropped at the end of August. So I wasn't going to give like an album spot this week to this uh, extended version. But I did want to at least highlight the new songs on this record and specifically the song called Bitter End. Screen Violence fucking hit back when it dropped, and this deluxe edition made me revisit the record, and it, it's fucking amazing, man. It still holds up. Granted, it's only been like a little over two months, but still, like, you know, that's a, that's a long time for me to have the ability to change my opinion on something, but Screen Violence, like, it, it's a stellar-ass record, dude, and this deluxe edition, it brought forth three new songs, Bitter End, Screaming, and Killer. Screaming and Killer are really, really good. Let me say that right now. They're very, very good songs. There was just something to Bitter End's execution that kind of put it in that upper echelon of screen violence for me personally. It, it feels almost like this throwback to like synthwave pop in a way, but also it feels contemporary and it feels like it blends in perfectly with the rest of Church's material on screen violence. Um, yeah, it's just like this really, really cool, abstract, and strange yet soothing pop song that I genuinely could not get enough of last week. I think Bitter End is amazing, Scream Violence is amazing, Churches is amazing, and yeah, put some respect on this band's name if you haven't already. So now I will briefly just make mention of the other singles from last week that I said on social media I liked. Black Fly by Bear King featuring Dead Awake. Lost by Being as an Ocean, Killer by Churches, Screaming by Churches, Terrified by Drippin' So Pretty, Hand in Hand Finale by Everyone Dies in Utah, In the Blink of an Eye by Famous Last Words, Pandora by Fit for an Autopsy, Drop Dead by Grandson featuring Kesha and Travis Barker, Chasing Shadows by Eminence, Charlie's Car by Lauren Hibbard, Pagan Prayer by Legend, Revive by Lightwave, Control My Sanity by Like Pacific, My Meds by Loon, Golden Days by Mayday Parade, Warrens by Midgar, Antagonist by Nova Twins, Upside Down by Nature's Ghost, Wayfarer by Patient 67, Where Millions Have Come to Die by Shadow of Intent featuring Phil Bozeman, Misfit by Smart Death, Casanova by Thornhill, Heartsick by Uplate, in My Room by Young Rising Suns featuring Sizzy Rocket, and Gemini by Younger. Again, there was nothing last week with singles that I said I disliked. I don't want people to think that I just say I like everything, but I don't actually. No, like, if I say I like something on social media, I actually like it. Where it ranges on that scale of, like, I like it, I really like it, I love it, I really love it, you know, that is where the podcast comes in because that lets me go further in depth on what I mean when I say I like these songs, but genuinely, I did like all those songs, so yeah, that's just that. Okay, so now it's time to get into records. There are seven to get through today, so uh, we'll be here again for another little while. I'm very sorry about that, but at the same time, if you listen to the whole thing, then you chose to, so yeah, um, whatever. It is what it is, I suppose. And I'm going to start with a record that 
I genuinely didn't think I was ever going to talk about on this show, let alone just ever have in my possession. Um, because it just like, you know, existing on the internet, uh, you just kind of hear and hear things like, oh yeah, they're working on it. Oh yeah, it's going to happen. Oh yeah, it's delayed and just, you know, all these little things that make it seem like it's never going to happen. And then when it does, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm not going to believe until I have it. And then on Halloween, I got it. And I was like, okay, this is a real thing. So let me take some time to talk about it. That was an incredibly long-winded way for me to say that I'm going to review the brand new album from Limp Bizkit called Still Sucks. Hurts me in a loving kind of way. I'm going to celebrate. Yeah. It's time to rock a small fucker because I'm always out of style. Never change my style because my style is kind of fresh. You're allowed to feel however you want to about Limp Bizkit. I think everybody's been given that right after having been forced to hear them one way or the other over the last 20 years or over that if you were around in the 90s for their initial breakthrough. Um, so yeah, you're allowed to feel however you want to about them. I do not know, though, if everybody who says that they dislike Limp Bizkit are being sincere in that manner because Limp Bizkit kind of like it used to be maybe it still is but like it really really used to be universally cool to just shit all over them despite their success um and maybe part of that was because of just how like everywhere they were like they just you you genuinely could not get away from them um you know take a look around is not just the name of a song from them like look around you and fucking Limp Bizkit is everywhere. It doesn't matter if you, you know, you're, you're just browsing channels and then you go, come across MTV and, oh, here's Limp Bizkit. And then guess what? Here's Limp Bizkit. And then guess what? Here's Limp Bizkit. You know, you put on a radio and fucking Nookie is in your ear and it's like, bro, I just want to, I, I didn't ask for this. Um, you genuinely could not escape Limp Bizkit. They were everywhere. And, you know, I think that does contribute a lot to why people became tired of them so quickly and why there has, it, it's felt like there's always been this stigma surrounding Limp Bizkit and the acceptance of them. So, Still Sucks was in development since like uh, 2011 or 2012. I know Gold Cobra was their last record and that was in 2011, I believe. And then after that, they were supposed to have moved forward with development on Still Sucks. It wasn't called Still Sucks initially. I'm going to check what the name of it was because... It's kind of like this strange name that's going to escape me. Stampede of the Disco Elephants. That is the original name of Still Sucks. And, you know, you would hear every once in a while like, oh, they're going to be releasing it in 2013. And then, oh, it's 2014. And then after a while, it's like, yeah, it'll happen when it happens. I think the guitar player, Wes Borland, had actually said before, like, uh, you know, there were parts done, but then Fred Durst was just trying to get it perfect. And it's like, yeah, we'll be here forever. Nothing is going to happen. I know Bring Me the Horizon had written with Limbiscuit for a minute, and I don't remember exactly what they said, but it wasn't a great experience from what I can remember, but they at least took like some of the riffs that they wrote with Limbiscuit and crafted Wonderful Life out of that. So, you know, that's at least a positive from all that stuff. Um, but yeah, this has been in the works for a long, long fucking time. And it really was not until this past summer that I think people started to understand like, hey, maybe this is really going to happen soon. Uh, and the catalyst for that was the Lollapalooza set that Limp Bizkit did 
at the end of July, I believe it was. Maybe it was August. I can't remember exactly. Um, but the the whole crux of that performance was Fred Durst's appearance and how he looked like some fucking middle-aged dad who shouldn't be at a Limp Bizkit concert, let alone playing with Limp Bizkit. And that, that was really, really well done. It got a lot of fucking attention and, you know, memes about it, whatever. But, like, people were talking about Limp Bizkit and they weren't talking about Limp Bizkit in, like, such a negative way. People were actually being receptive towards the band and were like, yeah, you know what? I like Limp Bizkit. Maybe it's, maybe they're not bad. And so it's not just a resurgence of Limp Bizkit in the eyes of popularity, but also it feels like they're being appreciated in a way that they necessarily not weren't back when this shit would have mattered in like 2000, 2001 and whatever. Um, so yeah, that is actually really, really strange to see as somebody who lived through that time period where it felt like, you know, Hey, get your shots on a limp biscuit because that's the cool thing to do. You know, they were genuinely like Nickelback back then. It just wasn't cool to like limp biscuit, but now it like that stigma and that taboo nature surrounding them. It, it's really, really just like dissipating before our eyes. And I kind of can't believe it. It feels surreal to sit here and be like, yeah, limp biscuit, you know, it's acceptable to like them. And I've never hidden the fact that I like a lot of their material. Um, but if you ask me to name like some of my favorite bands ever, the honest truth is I'm probably going to list off like around 75 before I even think of Limp Bizkit. And that's not slandering them. It's just me saying like, I do like a lot of their stuff. Uh, you know, $3 bill, uh, chocolate starfish, whatever that thing is called. Like, it escapes me right now. But, uh, results may vary was actually like an album that I was kind of warm to. I really did like it. And then I realized later on, like, oh, not many people share that sentiment. But, you know, it is what it is. And now I have Still Sucks. Firstly, um, I didn't believe that it was going to drop on Halloween. Everybody was saying, oh, it's dropping Sunday, it's dropping Sunday. And I'm just like, yeah, sure, whatever. If it drops Sunday, cool. If it doesn't, you know, I, I expected that. And then as I think Friday and Saturday went by, there was more reason to believe like, yeah, this is happening. And then uh, 11 p.m. Central Time, Saturday night. October 30th, I check Spotify and Still Sucks is there. And I'm literally looking at Still Sucks in my Spotify library. And I'm like, dog, there's no way this is happening. Like, I'm generally about to hear a new Limp Bizkit album and review it on my show later on in the week. Like, dog, what the fuck? And I say all that even having heard the living fuck out of dad vibes on a constant loop throughout all of October. Um, and I did talk about dad vibes a couple weeks ago on this show and... Like, how I felt about it back then, I feel even stronger now. Dad Vibes is one of the best songs of the year, in my opinion. It was the perfect song for Limp Bizkit to lead off this record with. And, you know, you hear that song, and it's like, yeah, they're still Limp Bizkit. They're still everything that I thought they were, and that's a good thing. And the album opens with Out of Style, and it has kind of like a slow build to it initially. Uh, but then by the time the chorus comes in, it's the same feeling that I had listening to Dad Vibes, where I'm like... Yeah, fucking Limp Bizkit, dude. Like, new metal, fucking backwards baseball caps, baggy-ass jeans. Like, let's fucking do it, man. This is this is cool. And that trend pretty much goes forward for the next few songs. Dirty Rotten Biscuit, I think, does a lot of what I just said about out of style. In the sense that it would have fit right in with something uh, akin to their older material. And then you have Dad Vibes, which I've already gone on and on about. Fucking great song. Love it. Literally cannot stop listening to it. 
Uh, if Dad Vibes shows up on my Spotify rap, mind your fucking business. Uh, Turn It Up, Bitch, is where there's kind of like a little bit of a change. Not, and not drastically, but that one, it feels stripped back in a way. Um, the most prominent thing about Turn It Up, Bitch, in terms of its instrumentation, is there's like, um, the bass line throughout it sounds really, really like purposely bad. Uh, and I say that as a compliment. Uh, it's just like a bass, like halfway plugged in, I guess. And the, the plucking of it just sounds really, really weird, but it, it gives Turn It Up Bitch its own identity. And I think that's really, really cool. Uh, don't change. You get a slower, softer side to Limbiscuit here. It reminds me of, um, a song from Revo- Results May Vary called Build a Bridge. Uh, I don't like it as much as Build a Bridge. I think Build a Bridge is one of the best things Limbiscuit has ever done. But for what it is, Don't Change is still a good song. And I do admire that it was put here uh, as the fifth track to kind of give a break from the whole new metal stuff that Limp Bizkit are known for. And then you go into You Bring Out the Worst in Me, which as of right now, this is my second favorite song on the record behind Dad Vibes. Um, so the verses on You Bring Out the Worst in Me, they're... They're really like slow pace and it's kind of like just this weird build up and you don't really know what's going to happen. And then the chorus comes in and I'm just like so taken aback by how heavy the chorus on this track is. Um, I think listening to You Bring Out the Worst in Me really cemented in my mind like how influential Limp Bizkit have been this entire time without maybe realizing it and just the amount of bands from the scene who you know, clearly have some kind of an influence that's taken from Limp Bizkit. So, like, uh, you know, in the last couple of years, you have, like, Siler or um, My Enemies and I. Like, I look at those bands and I'm like, this is totally what Limp Bizkit's doing with this track. Like, this fits right in with everything that, that n- the new metal scene is currently. And, you know, for that reason, I think You Bring Out the Worst of Me is one of the strongest points on this record. Uh, I'm going to go out of order now in the track listing just to kind of, like, make points about some songs that I think have connecting themes. Um, Empty Hole fits what I said about Don't Change in the sense that it's a slower, more acoustic-based track, and I, I think Pill Pop, or not Pill Popper, uh, Empty Hole, I was looking at Pill Popper in the, my screen right now, Empty Hole, I don't think I like it as much as Don't Change, if anything, I think Empty Hole, you know, uh, could have ran the risk of, like, derailing the record's momentum, and I think that is the thing that kept me from viewing Still Sucks as a Perfect Record, uh, but I have kind of come around an empty hole. I do still like it. I think it's a good song. It's just, it doesn't really have the same kind of character that I think the rest of the material here does. Um, Love the Hate is like comedic Limp Bizkit, and they do that really, really well. It's just like these guys having this conversation about like how much they hate Limp Bizkit, and I'm not going to spoil what happens in the story for that track, but it's really, really entertaining to get through, and the song itself is really good too. Uh, I think with songs like Barnacle and Pill Popper, you get more of what I was saying earlier about like this feeling like an extension of what Limp Bizkit had already been doing 20 years ago and, you know, 21, whatever, 22 years ago. I don't know. Uh, and like, if you are coming to Still Sucks to hear the Limp Bizkit that you know, then these are the tracks that are going to like really, really do it for you. And I think... You know, this was obviously the necessary step for Limbiscuit to maybe take a little bit of chances here and there, but for the most part, just stick to the formula because that's what's working and that's what the fans want. Um, 
Snacky poo. <laughs> so, uh, the, like, last half of it, uh, uh, of Snacky Poo, it's like, uh, some radio DJ is interviewing Wes Borland, and, you know, similarly to Love the Hate, I'm not gonna spoil what happens, because this is, like, a story-based song, but it was really, really well done. I thought, I, I loved Snacky Poo for that reason. And then the record closes with Goodbye. Goodbye was, like, startling dude um it's very very r&b based like laid back uh just so chill um it sounds like something that you would have heard like in the early 2000s um there there's there's a song out there like a popular song from the 2000s that i'm trying to think of that the acoustic riff on goodbye reminds me of i can't really think of it my brain wants to say all falls down by Kanye west and i think that's the only example i have right now that's coming to me but that's not the one I'm trying to think of, but let's just run with that for now, because I literally have spent days trying to think of what Goodbye reminds me of, and I cannot figure it out for the fucking life of me. Um, but Goodbye, it, it's just like so out there and different from the rest of the material on Still Sucks, and I think it works out really, really well in the record's favor in that sense. Uh, and then just coming out of Still Sucks, I sat there in my room, and I'm just like, I really fucking heard a brand new Limp Bizkit album. Like... You know, there's shit that, like, you don't think you're gonna ever fucking do, uh, like, when you have this kind of a platform that I'm trying to build, and talking about new Limp Bizkit material was one of those things, yet here I am telling all of you that Still Sucks is fucking uh, uh, amazing. I really, really enjoy this album, and I think Limp Bizkit, you know, have earned the position that they're in right now when it comes to the change of perception that the, you know, culture is really having towards them, because I said earlier... It doesn't feel like it's cool anymore to dislike Limp Bizkit. If anything, it's the opposite. Like, you know, respect Biscuit. You you have to do it. You got to show it. And yeah, just like, you know, whatever your perception of Limp Bizkit, you know, from the early 2000s and late 90s was, that's primarily what you're going to get on Still Sucks. I think it's a great nostalgia trip. And it's something that, uh, you know, what I was saying earlier about you bring out the worst in me. I'm listening to this album and I'm realizing like, man, that, that influence that Limp Bizkit had on alternative music, it never left. So many bands have like picked up that mantle and really, really ran with it. And right now is the moment where I'm finally just understanding the extent to which Limp Bizkit has paved the way for a lot of bands I love and the probable fact that they would not be around if it wasn't for Limp Bizkit. Okay, so that was cool. Managed to get through that. Um, uh, so what I'm going to do now, I just, you know, had all the praise in the world for Limp Biscuit, and I think them sticking to a formula worked really, really well, but right now, I want to go into a record where a formula kind of hurts it in a lot of ways, and I just, I, I don't think it's a bad record. I like it to some extent, but I think that it has a couple of flaws, actually more than a couple of flaws, that doesn't really do it any favors and it is the phantom tomorrow by blackfell brides so i will start by briefly going over my history of Blackville Brides and how I've felt about them overall up to this point because I I do not have 
the outwardly negative view of them that I know a lot of other people have. And you could probably go find another podcast where, you know, they're just shitting all over Blackville Brides. I'm not going to do that. I, the first time I ever heard Blackville Brides was through Knives and Pens back in like 2009 or 2010. It was the original version, the music video version, not the version that ended up being on We Six These Wounds. I think the mixing on that record fucking sucks. And then so did the one that came out last year, the, the remake of it, whatever that was. The original Knives and Pens, the one with the music video, the really, really bad music video is amazing. One of my favorite songs of all time. I fucking love that version of Knives and Pens. Uh, just going forward from there, I feel like with a record like, um, Set the World on Fire, I understood the issues that people were having with Blackville Brides, but I just didn't see it. I thought it was a good record. Same thing with Rich and Divine. Wretched and Divine might have been one of my favorite albums in 2013, just all in all. I really, really like Wretched and Divine. The self-titled in 2014 was where I was kind of like maybe falling off a, a little bit with Blackville Brides. I saw them live on that tour cycle for, for um the self-titled, and I thought they were great. I thought they were a very good band live. Andy has a ton of fucking energy as a frontman. He is so charismatic and just really really talented and seeing them live and seeing andy do his thing in person it it helped make me understand a little bit more just like why they're in the position that they are and how they got there um veil was the last one i believe in 2018 early early in 2018 i didn't like it it just wasn't for me i felt like blackville brides had kind of lost their step i felt like they just didn't really have much to say anymore in terms of like lyrical content and what they wanted to get across with their tracks. Everything just kind of felt the same. Everything kind of blended in with each other. And coming into, (coughs) excuse me, coming into The Phantom Tomorrow. So firstly, this record was delayed by more than a couple months. It was supposed to have been out back in June. I believe like the same day that um, Below by Beartooth dropped, that would have been the same day for The Phantom Tomorrow. Uh, but now here we are at the start of November, and I'm just barely getting around to reviewing it because that is, you know, how long it took to actually get it. So there, there was no promotional material that I saw for this record, like, you know, through Sumerian or just word of mouth, anybody having any kind of excitement for this record. I don't know if anybody really, really knew that this was happening. Um, so, you know, the same thing happened with the, um, Asking Alexandria record back at the start of October. See was on the inside. I that's how far removed that record is from my brain. I had to like really, really think about what it was called right now. Uh but you know, the similar notions with the Phantom Tomorrow. And I don't want to take too much time reviewing this record because I don't have a ton of things to say about it. It's just kind of like Yeah, it's whatever, man. Uh the intro Phantom Tomorrow I thought was really, really well done and it has like that like epic feel that I think Blackville Brides try to do for a lot of their stuff. And that goes into Scarlet Cross. Scarlet Cross got released as a single about a year ago now. I initially didn't like it, but hearing it on the record, I was like, I actually kind of fuck with this, man. I think it's really, really cool. Uh, Born Again, it's a good song, and I still like it. I said on social media I liked it. I do still like it, and I think by this point in the record, I'm still like enamored enough with Blackville Brides to get through the material and not feel like I'm just hearing the same thing over and over again and be enthusiastic about it. It's got a massive chorus on it, and if there's anything I can say about every track on this record, it's that Blackville Brides will never not know how to write catchy hooks. That's just something that is, like, 
so innate to them and you know they never really lose sight of that uh the same thing with blackbird blackbird might be my favorite song on the record as of right now um it, it just fucking hits man and it's one of those songs that like yeah it fits all the blackville brides tropes you're not gonna hear anything flashy or unique with blackbird but it just still is really really good um you go into the interlude specters which again like the intro of the phantom tomorrow it has like that really cool epic feel to it. it makes it feel like some kind of like this big fight scene for a movie is about to happen uh but then that fight scene ends up being the back-to-back run of torch and the wicked one i torch was a single i i don't remember if i said on social media i liked it or i didn't mind it ultimately it's just kind of whatever it exists i don't feel strongly one way or the other about it and it's not really a good thing that i am saying like oh yeah whatever like at least if i didn't like the song i would have like this visceral reaction and be saying something with substance whereas i'm just sitting here like yeah a torch sure whatever it happened uh, and the same thing with the wicked one the wicked one is a little bit heavier and it kind of like tries to play into um like more of a um like a metal direction i guess if you want to put it that way but like again i just don't really care about it It, it's an okay song i don't really have anything bad or good to say about it it just exists and you know sometimes just existing is worse than getting some kind of a spiteful reaction out of me um so shadows rise field of bone field to bone and crimson skies comes in come in at the next three songs and I, I sense the album at that point kind of hitting a baseline where it's like, okay, nothing is necessarily getting better, but I do not dislike these songs the way that I maybe did with Torch and The Wicked One. I'm like, okay, it's fine. It's whatever. This is where The Phantom Tomorrow was going to be sitting at, and that's okay. The Fields of Bone, I was surprisingly high on that song when it dropped as a single back in like April or May, and I still feel pretty good about it now. I think it is one of the stronger tracks on here. Um, Kill the Hero, which is the penultimate track on here, that's where I kind of just, like, go back to where I was previously, I'm just like, I, I, I get it, I've heard this, like, it doesn't do anything for me one way or the other, I just, I, I'm bored with this, I don't, I want something, you know, fresh and exciting, and I don't think that's too much to ask for out of Black Folk Brides, because they have given me that in the past, it's just, you know, on The Phantom Tomorrow, and then on Veil, I, more often than not, I don't know if I hear that. Um, so Kill the Hero, I was kind of just like, yeah, let's get into the closer, let's finish this. And thankfully, Fall Eternal, the closer, it's pretty good. It's more of like a ballad song than anything else, and it is the softest and slowest song on The Phantom Tomorrow, but I think it's also one of the better ones because of just, like, how different it is from everything else. It doesn't feel like, you know, Scarlet Cross or Shadows Rise, like, I'm not gonna get it mixed up with any of them, I'm not gonna hear the song and be like, wait, was this, um... Was this Born Again? Like, no, it's Fall Eternal. And it's really, really good that the record was able to close on a track that has personality. Um, but coming out of it, I was kind of just like, yeah, it, it happened. You know, it, it is what it is. And like, I, I would say that I still do like Blackville Brides. When they do something again in the future, I will go hear it. Honestly, like, I think I'm more in favor of Andy's solo material. Uh, I know that's not really a popular opinion, but I thought, um, what were they called? Um, the Shadow Side and fucking um, The Ghost of Ohio. 
they're good. They're good records, especially the Shadow Side. I really, really like, like that album. I still go back to songs like um, We Don't Have to Dance and Ribcage regularly because I get more enjoyment out of Andy's solo material than I have out of Blackville Bride's material in a really, really long time. Um, I'm not saying that like they should incorporate some of his solo stuff into Blackville Bride's because if you do that, then you're going to get Asking Alexandria, which, you know, don't really want to... Um, see another band go down the route that they have um but yeah i just feel like with the phantom tomorrow it's it's just okay i i guess if you're really really into blackville brides then you probably enjoy this record and if that's the case and good for you i'm happy you got to hear something that you can hold close to you but just for me personally i it, it feels like with every blackville brides release i'm kind of slowly becoming more and more detached from them okay let's try and pick the energy back up a little bit with these record reviews and look at the new release from calling all captains called slowly getting better This is actually the band's debut album. It's not their debut release. That would have been the EP Nothing Grows Here from back in 2019. I remember hearing that release, uh, not right when it dropped, but like shortly thereafter. There's a song on there called Fool's Gold that, you know, you could have convinced me off of that one song that Calling All Captains had been a band for like 10 years at that point. That song was that fucking good. I thought it was so strong. I still go back to it like pretty often. Uh, if it comes up on shuffle, you know, it's not a skip. I'm just like, yeah, calling out captains. Like, this is fucking dope, man. Uh, so getting a full length from them was really, really exciting. And I was really, really looking forward to it. And I would say, largely, I got what I was hoping for out of slowly getting better. Calling out captains have this, like, punk sound to them. And I don't want to say pop punk because, like, sure, there are elements of pop punk in what they're doing. But for the most part, it's just like kind of straightforward, like punk music, maybe something you'd hear off of like the story so far, for example. Um, maybe like a little bit of like earlier neck deep stuff in a way. Uh, but it also just has like this really raw and energetic feel to its production that makes it sound kind of DIY in a lot of areas. And I think that really, really helps in further establishing that whole punk nature that I'm talking about now. The, like, rollout for the singles began back in May with Tailspin, and then that was followed up with Undone. If I can, like, nitpick the, like, uh, promotion for this record, I guess, um, I would have had Undone come out as a first single. I feel like Undone gives you the biggest inkling into what you're gonna hear with Slowly Getting Better. It was my favorite of the singles. I really, really enjoy Undone. That's not me shitting on Tailspin. I love Tailspin. I think it's a great song. I understand why they went with that as a lead single, but just me personally, Undone would have been the one that I'm like, yeah, that's what we're leading off with. Um, and, and then there was Wasted, which I think fits a lot of what, uh, Calling Out Captains are known for by their fan base. And for that reason, like, you know, good, good single, straightforward track. Love it. Uh, Laurel Canyon was the last single that we got. Uh, that was pretty recent, I, I want to say. It was like maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, from when the album released. Laurel Canyon has almost like hardcore hints to, uh, its instrumentation and the delivery of that track. 
it, it's not like a straightforward hardcore song. It's still very much so punk, but I can hear like these little blends of some heaviness in what they're doing. And I thought that worked really, really well. The melody in that song, especially just like, you know, pulls at my like heartstrings. It, it has like that emotional backing to it that I love out of hardcore. And that was one of the reasons why I think Laurel Canyon was maybe the single that I ended up gravitating, gravitating towards the most. And ultimately with the record, I think that is one of my favorite songs off of it. Um, Collapse, I would say, actually kind of continues where Laurel Canyon left off. And uh, Laurel Canyon was the opener. I don't think I mentioned that. So Collapse comes in as a second track. The outro to Collapse, it kind of like scales things back. There's like this um, this uh, like slow drum roll that you can hear happening in the background. And it's just kind of repeating the chorus over, uh, not over and over again, but just like over that slower uh, cap off for the song. I'd give it all through fires. I will stand tall, breathe in the smoke till both my lungs are burned raw. It's always me in the end. It's always me in the end. And what I mentioned earlier about like the raw energy to the production, that carrying over to the vocals allows there to be this like, um, what, 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 what do I say it is, uh, authenticity to what is happening. It doesn't sound like manufactured. It doesn't sound like overly, you know, produced and all this other shit. There aren't really layers to, the you know the vocal touches on this record it, it's all so real and raw and you can feel the emotion in it and like i i think it's one of the strong suits of this record if anything uh steady pensive is as of right now my favorite song on the record i think that is a song that best uh embodies everything that calling out captains go for on slowly getting better it has like you know the the punk elements i talked about the slight pop punk influence the slight hardcore influence, everything kind of comes together comes together to make Steady Pensive what it is. And for me, that is a standout track. One of my overall favorite songs from last week. Again, like, uh, didn't give it the love it probably deserved in Scene to Go Overlook, but Steady Pensive is a fucking hell of a song. Uh, Loving Cup. I think that one has, like, um, Little hints of what Can't Swim were doing just recently on Change of Plans. I, I, at least that is like what I was able to make a connection to when I heard it. Um, loyalty. That hardcore influence I've been talking about, it really, really shines on loyalty because that is where like screaming vocals come in and it feels like so just like dirty, man. It, it has like this grimy feel to it. And I, I thought, for, you know, for that reason, it, it made loyalty one of the more standout tracks on the record. Um, on the two songs, Broken Glass and Vacant Sentiment, I think with those two songs, th they still have all of the same energy that you hear with the rest of Solo getting better. I think in like certain moments on those songs where Calling On Captains could have just like gone straight up heavy and hardcore like they do on some of the other songs, they don't necessarily take those chances or take those moments. And I think that gives like some flavor to those songs that you know maybe they wouldn't have had otherwise it, it makes them stand out in certain ways and i do appreciate that the closing song friends and family it has like a proper build-up throughout it and you know it starts off initially like a little bit slower and then like towards the end of it around the bridge area you know it, it does explode into like one of the i don't want to say heavier tracks on the record necessarily but it just kind of has like that sort of a style to it uh, those hardcore influences definitely show with friends and family near the end of it. Um, and with slowly getting better, I did only give it 
an 8 out of 10 in the reviews on social media while saying that I liked every song. I think my like reasoning for that just comes from how easy it was for the material that I heard on Slowly Getting Better to be buried underneath everything else I heard last week. Uh, and, you know, that's not a knock on Calling Out Captains. They put out a really, really good record, really, really cool album that I would hope the people who are waiting for something like this for them, you know, they were able to be satisfied with. Uh, I was satisfied with Slowly Getting Better. I acknowledge that. I was really, really into what I heard. Um, I do think that after the initial listen, I did have some of those moments that I've talked about before on certain records where I can't really like decipher what song was what, what moments belonged to which song. Like, um, so songs like Steady Pensive, uh, Collapse, Friends and Family, I understood immediately like what, uh, what songs they were. But then I'm like, okay, wait, uh, Tailspin, Loyalty, what did they sound like? Let me go back to them real quick. And then, you know, on a second listen, the, those identities are more well established, but just on the first listen, and the first listen is the one that I really kind of base most of my reviews off of. I did have that trouble and, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's a me issue and not so much calling all captains. I understand that is entirely possible, but that's me being honest with everybody. That is kind of what went through my head when reviewing slowly getting better. I think it's a good record. If you're into anything that I've been describing with punk and hardcore, you know, for sure, give this a listen. I think there's a lot you'll be able to find in here that you love off of it. Uh, you know, the same thing with me. I love a lot of what I heard on here. It's just some of it, I think, blended a little bit too much. And, you know, maybe with more listens, uh, I'll warm up to it in a way that makes it like this elite record of 2021. But right now, I'm acknowledging it as a very, very good album that I think uh, you know, you, whoever is into punk and hardcore, you can get a lot of mileage out of this. We're almost halfway through the records, so hopefully we're not here too much longer. Uh, right now I want to go into the brand new release out of Safe Face. This one is another kill for the highlight reel. This one was uh, entirely a Twitter discovery. I didn't know about Safe Face before um, the Cycle 4 Another Kill for the Highlight Reel started. That would have been back in August with the release of Glitter. They did have a record in 2018 called Mercy, but that was something that kind of passed me by back when it happened, and I didn't have another chance until just recently to discover Safe Face. But I'm very glad that I did, because they kind of embody this like theatrical sound that I rarely hear uh, be executed properly in scene music. Um, I guess like the biggest comparisons I can make for Safe Face as far as like what uh, potential inspirations came to my mind when hearing this record, I, I hear like early uh, My Chemical Romance and The Used and then like some uh, hints of what Get Scared had been doing um, for a little while over there. So, you know, th that's this really, really cool amalgamation of sounds and for that reason, I w was pretty amped to get into this record. And uh, aside from just uh, embodying those acts I mentioned right now in terms of sound, uh, the lyricism for Glitter, uh, the lead single in particular, was also like a cool nod to that kind of pulse hardcore that I think is really, really interesting. 
So I just, you know, to kind of uh, give an example of that, uh, some of the lines in the chorus of Glitter go, I want to see your blood get stuck like glitter on my face. I'll wear it every day. So, you know, there's like that malevolence there. But again, it's kind of done in this really theatrical way. That really, really speaks to me. I really dug Glitter. And then pretty much a similar thing happened with the two singles I followed, those being Bury Me Tonight and Sharpen Your Teeth. And with those three singles backing another kill for the highlight reel, like I said before, I was excited to get into this record once I had it last Friday. I think the funeral you've been waiting for, is, or you, the funeral you've been asking for, I'm sorry, is the perfect opener for this album because it kind of has like the... um the intro or like the piano type of intro that really feeds into what I've been talking about in terms of theatrics and it also ends the same way so it, it's a really really cool introduction to the kind of like themes and tones you're going to be getting for the rest of the album. Uh, the song that follows that, Curse Me Out, it has like almost this sort of jazz swing type of thing going for it in the verses and like god man that that kind of rhythm mixed with this like Plus hardcore sound, it just fucking works for me, man. It does it for me. I I, I love this kind of stuff. Honestly, it, it might be my favorite song on the record outside of Glitter. Like, I kind of went back to Curse Me Out uh, as soon as I finished Another Kill for the Highlight Reel on the initial listen. So, yeah, I, I think that song just stands out in all the right ways. I think the, the things I've been saying so far, they're also applicable to a bunch of other songs on the record. Uh, like a song for your futile heart, uh, the perks of not being able to see your reflection, AM Gothic, they all uh, go along the same lines of everything I've been saying about songs like Glitter and Curse Me Out and Sharpen Your Teeth. Um, I Actually, I think another uh, potential inspiration for this stuff, aside from my chem to use and get scared, would have been like early Set It Off. Things that Set It Off were doing off of Horrible Kids and uh, Cinematic, that kind of stuff, I think... Uh, really, like, speaks to what Safe Face are doing. Um, so, like, the whole theatrical stuff, I really, really hope that is getting across properly and everybody who is familiar with all those acts understand the comparisons I'm trying to make between them and Safe Face. Uh, the two songs that end the record, Watch You Die Again and Please Murder Me, they kind of slow things down, although at different paces. Watch You Die Again feels like the midpoint between the rest of the record and then please murder me and then please murder me it acts as like a piano ballad to close out the record and i think given the nature of another kill for the highlight reel up to that point that is kind of called for it's necessary to close out the record in that fashion and coming out of another kill for the highlight reel i feel like um it, it doesn't really make sense to me why safe face was a band that i just missed out on this whole time like i guess Maybe I wasn't, like, constantly, but that doesn't make sense. I was going to say maybe I wasn't, like, constantly paying attention back then in 2018 around that period to what was happening in the scene, but I was. So, you know, I guess Safe Face was just some random miss on my part, and now they get to be this uber cool discovery that I'm making, and I get to share with everybody listening to this show right now, like, my feelings for Safe Face and why I like them so much. Um... What was the score on this one? I think it was like an 8.5. Was it a 9? Because now I'm thinking in my head like, God, maybe this should have been a 9 if it wasn't. Uh, let me see where I can find this um, this score. Pair with me. It was an 8.5. Okay. The reason for that score initially was um, kind of the 
I, I think some of the ideas kind of got jumbled together on certain songs and, and not to the point where like I couldn't differentiate, um, you know, uh, curse me out from, uh, the funeral you've been asking for or AM Gothic from the perks of not being able to see your reflection. It was just like, there is so much going on here that it's kind of difficult to pick it up on an initial listen. And that was maybe like slightly, um, a, a, a bit of a downfall for me personally because this was my first full record experience with safe face so i didn't really have like uh all the preparation i needed for the record i guess that's what i'm trying to say um listening back to it now though i definitely feel like i would bump it up just slightly the score i don't think it's a perfect record but i think it is this incredible showcase of the talents involved with safe face and the ability that they have to resonate with a larger audience given the fact that, you know, the, the bands that I think you can draw as like potential influences, influences on another kill for the highlight reel, the, the masses that they reached was insane. So I think it just takes the right amount of people from the right audience to find this record and give Safe Face the love that they deserve. Okay. So now we've arrived at the point of this chapter where I, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be harsh. I don't want to be harsh. But I just don't really know where I'm going to take this review. Let's, let, let me just put it that way. So right now, it's time for Long Time No See, which is the comeback EP of Attack Attack. Okay, so let, let me set the stage a little bit. Let me explain Attack Attack and the affinity I have for this band and why they are one of the most, probably one of the most important bands I've ever listened to. So if you're listening to this show right now, I'm assuming you've at least heard of Attack Attack. If not, let me explain a little bit of things. Uh, Attack Attack was a band in the late 2000s. And they embodied everything that you think of when you think of like Warp Tour and Hot Topic and like the emo MySpace scene. They were that band. They, I don't want to say popularized Crabcore, but through memes, they gave Crabcore its name. And the reason why Crabcore it's called what it's called is because in the music video for Stick Stickly, there is a part of it where uh, one of the members, I don't remember which one exactly it is, for whatever reason, Homeboy is in a full-ass crab stance while playing his guitar. Like, just straight up going up and down. Like, just, what the fuck are you doing, bro? Um, and so, given the sound that Attack Attack had, which was like, um, post-hardcore, really, really blended with electronic, and there, given that there weren't really many other bands at that point doing that, and they definitely didn't have the reach of Attack Attack, that is where the Crabcore name comes from. And it stuck with Attack Attack. Like, granted, there were other bands that came along that had, like, things to do with Crabcore. So, like, uh, Asking Alexandria, Icy Stars, Capture the Crown. Attack Attack is the band that I think most people think of when they hear the term Crabcore. Again, because of the memes and how that kind of culture, like, just engulfed Attack Attack back then. 
Uh, and they definitely leaned heavily into it. Like, part of it is their fault, but, you know, I guess it is what it is. Um, Attack Attack ended up kind of just going away. They disbanded around 2012 or 2013. Um, two of their members went on to have success with other acts. So, uh, there was Caleb Shomo, who is now the vocalist for Beartooth. And then, uh, Bill Murray was also part of that band. And now Bill Murray is just out here doing the most ridiculous shit ever, but, like, I say that in the most loving and positive possible way. And then Attack Attack kind of just, you know, faded out, and it became, like, this point of nostalgia for a lot of us in the scene, where we're like, oh, yeah, remember, remember Attack Attack, remember fucking Stick Stickly, and Bro Ashley's here, and, um, what was the other one? Uh, what is, Smokehannis, uh, that one. So, yeah, that's kind of all that Attack Attack became. And then, around this time, a year ago, there was something on social media. I don't remember exactly what it was, but just something came out, and it was to announce the return of Attack Attack. I lost my goddamn mind, y'all. I was, like, just sitting there and completely fucking losing it. I was actually in an Uber when I read the news about Attack Attack coming back, and, like, I didn't know how to process any of that. Like, this isn't supposed to happen, man. Attack Attack is supposed to be dead. Like, this is a thing of the past. I'm not supposed to have new material from them in 2020 at that point, or 2021 now. But it looks like this is happening, and I was just so fucking amped. And it felt like like this part of me that was so just, like, long gone and tucked away from when I was 13 and 14, it was just, like, spiraling out of me. And it was really, really exciting for, like, two hours. And then we started to learn, like, okay, Caleb is not involved, Bill Murray's not involved, I'm very fucking certain Austin Carlisle would not be involved at that point, so I'm like, who is even in Attack Attack? Like, who made this comeback? Um, so, basically, there are two original members of Attack Attack that are still involved in the project, Andrew Wetzel and Andrew Whiting. The vocal duties are carried out by Chris Parketney, who is part of a band called Nine Shrines, which was... Andrew Wetzel's band that he formed after Attack Attack disbanded. And hearing that, I'm like, okay, so it's not Attack Attack. It's a, a, a band with members from Attack Attack, but it, it doesn't seem like this really has much to do with Attack Attack. And, you know, I wanted to be proven wrong. I really, really did. I wanted to be excited about Attack Attack again. I wanted to have material from them that made sense to me in this day and age and i don't really think i get that off of long time no see and i've known for a while now that that wasn't going to be the case so they dropped a single at the end of 2020 called all my life and it, yes it, it it like brings in certain like electronic elements that attack attack were known for but ultimately it, it's kind of like a Sirius XM Octane sort of song, slightly laced with characteristics of Attack Attack. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's having the name Attack Attack that really just turns me away from this project, ultimately. If this was a completely new band, I would not really have the strong reaction that I feel like I'm going to. But because they're using the name Attack Attack, it definitely feels, it's like, 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 it's just part of a marketing strategy. And they're using property that had an established audience to try and push this new music out that isn't necessarily what that audience is looking for. 
I believe the next song that came out after All My Life was Kawaii Cowboys, which serves as the intro for Long Time No See. I'm going to say now, Kawaii Cowboys is my favorite song on this EP, and that is insulting given that it's this little stupid fucking, like, one minute meme sort of song that has no real substance to it. It's just a really cool sounding thing, in my opinion. Uh, I actually didn't like it when I first heard it as a single back then, uh, back then being like March or April, whatever it was. But hearing it like over and over again since then, I've really, really warmed up to Kawhi Cowboys. Um, but again, it's not really like a, a song per se. It's kind of just like an intro song that plays when the band starts getting on stage. Um, Mercurial Bombshell and Press F were the singles that followed. I feel very, very similarly to those songs that I did with All My Life. They're, they're not bad, per se. I want to get that out of the way right now. I don't think they're bad. I think they showcase, like, talent and abilities. But again, it goes back to what I said about the name Attack Attack. It's like, why is this under their discography? Like, why does it have to be Attack Attack? This couldn't have been something new? Like, I would have been more accepting of it if it was something new. Like, I, I, I think other people would have as well. It, it just, it doesn't sit right with me that this is all part of Attack Attack's library. The the two new songs on this EP are Fade With Me and Dear Wendy. Fade With Me, I actually do like. I think it, like, it, it shows more um, progression in the EDM realm rather than anything like rock or post-hardcore that Attack Attack would have been doing. Uh, you know, like, there is, like, a legitimate EDM drop in Fade With Me, and for that reason, I do like that song uh, quite a bit. I, I would say I'm a fan of it. Dear Wendy, I think, is the best example of what Attack Attack had been trying to do with that more, like, straightforward, contemporary rock kind of sound. Um, I don't think it's a perfect song. I think it just takes those concepts and does them well enough, at least better than uh, Procurio Bombshell, Press F, and All My Life. Uh, and then, you know, finishing Long Time No See, I was like, man, that was pretty underwhelming. Um, it's not horrible. I, I just... I cannot attach myself to most of what I'm hearing on this uh, on this record on this EP, and uh, again, like I don't want to just like sound like a fucking broken record, but it really, really all goes back to the name Attack Attack being implemented in this stuff. Like I don't associate this with Attack Attack, dude. Like I don't really want to. Like uh, I I just wish this was a different thing. Like if this was Nine Shrines, sure, whatever. If you come out with a new project, a new name, and you put this out. I'll probably I'll probably have liked it more, but God, like I just it, it, you 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 kind of like and when I, uh, I'm talking about like the um the comeback announcement for Attack Attack last year, you give me something that I I don't know how to perceive, but I'm hopeful for, and then literally within hours that hope is kind of just beaten and battered, and then over the next year I'm listening to these singles that kind of like reaffirm my state of mind in how I am slightly rejecting this incarnation of Attack Attack. It's just, you know, it it's not what I wanted. It's not what I was looking for. I don't know if it's what anyone who was listening to Attack Attack back in 2008, 2009, 2010 necessarily asked for. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, like, shit all over their creative direction. If this is what they really, really wanted to do, then all the power to them. Fine, whatever. But I just, I I, I don't like this very much. So the good thing about this chapter is that that was kind of the end of everything I needed to say in terms of negativity. Um, there are two records left. 
two records that I was very, very, very excited to get into once I had them last Friday. And the first one I'm going to talk about is the brand new record from Whitechapel called Kin. So I think I've given like the crash course on Whitechapel when talking about the singles for Kin over the last couple of weeks. Um, just briefly going through this again, Whitechapel were one of the bands that I fell in love with when I was getting into Deathcore for the first time around the mid-2000s after hearing The Cleansing by Suicide Silence for the first time. By the way, shameless plug, go check out my TikTok account for a retro review of The Cleansing. Um, but yeah, that is where like my fandom for Whitechapel started. It definitely diminished over time. Um, I think like um, Mark of the Blade and The Saw is the Law, was that the name of the the album? I don't think it was, but like that era of Whitechapel, that is where I was kind of like, you know, it's okay, but I don't really see much progression in, in this. It, it doesn't really feel like they're working towards something. And then I was I immediately put on my ass and told to shut the fuck up once they dropped The Valley back in 2019. The Valley was like almost as far of a departure as Whitechapel could have ventured into, but the chances that they took, I felt really, really, really paid off for them because it, it was like I was hearing this new side of Whitechapel that I didn't know they had in them. I don't know if anybody did. Like, how long had um, Phil Bozeman just been sitting on these incredible cleans of his? Like, this was outstanding. And then once the cycle for Kin properly started back in September, uh, we got Lost Boy as the lead single. And Lost Boy kind of picked up right where the valley left off. You still have that like heavy, brutal, um, I don't want to say deathcore, but let's just go with metal side of Whitechapel that is really shining through. And I think, um, you know, people who were really, really into the deathcore stuff of Whitechapel, they can still latch onto. But then in Lost Boy, the song kind of takes like this melodic turn and Phil is like just as enchanting and amazing as he's always been. He sounds incredible on Lost Boy. I, I really, really enjoy that song a lot. It's still one of my favorites on Kin, and I thought it was the perfect way to lead into this cycle. Um, I believe after that, A Blood-Soaked Symphony was the next single. That one kind of uh, parlays more into the heavier side of Whitechapel, and I think if like that is what you're coming to Whitechapel for in this day and age, you were probably really happy with A Blood-Soaked Symphony. I thought it was a great song. I liked it a lot. Um, Orphan. God, dude, Orphan fucking delivered. That's, that shit hits, dog. Uh, you know, it, it goes more into what I was talking about with Lost Boy in terms of, like, that melodic, more beautiful sound that you can hear from Whitechapel. And, like, that, at this point, is, to me, the main attraction of this band. It's no longer their heaviness. It's the softer, melodic stuff that they're putting out. And I would have never imagined them being able to successfully execute this even a couple of years ago. The opening song, I Will Find You, is so goddamn fucking amazing and just was like so moving and genuinely almost brought me to tears the first time I heard it. I couldn't let go of just how much I love that song. And it has like this acoustic intro that leads into some of the heavier tones that you'll find on this record. And it actually starts off with the lines, 
The devil is dead, I have never felt the way that I have, until I left the valley in flames. Let it burn, let it die, blind the all-seeing eye, but I know smoke will never clear in hell. So, Phil is directly referencing the valley through the line, until I left the valley in flames, and then uh, the artwork for the record is also mentioned with uh, the all-seeing eye, and it, it's just like this genuine message about how he wants to let go of the nature of the valley, because the valley dealt with a lot of personal shit for Phil, and things that, like, up until that point, I don't think he was able to, like, properly articulate in songs, uh, so, like, you know, it's really about letting go of that trauma, and... Then, later on in the song, um, he, like, when he goes into his cleans, he says, I always feel like there's something that I left behind. It's not a possession or any acceptance of life. It's me. And kind of, like, talking about how, you know, like, for as much as he wants to let go of that traumatic past, like, it, it it's him. It's not necessarily something that, you know, he possesses or he accepts. It's just him. And I feel like that is such an incredible message to get across to anybody who has like trauma that they feel is weighing them down and is like so heavily integrated into their identity and who they are i definitely know like that's something that i struggle with so much and hearing phil just speak on this stuff it's so moving and enchanting and like just it is incredible it's incredible to hear somebody use their talent and platform for this kind of a purpose I think from there, the two songs on this album that really embody that melodic side to Whitechapel would be Anticure and History is Silent. Those two songs, they, they have their heavy parts in them for sure, but they lean so heavily into the kind of stuff that maybe potentially like OG fans of Whitechapel could find boring and be turned away by. Uh, me personally, they were two of the strongest points on this whole album in my opinion, especially History is Silent. History is Silent is just like... It's like a knife that's cutting you, and that pain can also be, like, misconstrued as pleasure, it, just in the way of, like, how soothing the song is, and just how lost, or how easy it is for me to get lost in the lyrical content and those really, really beautiful tones backing it. Um, there's a part in, in the song where Phil says, And I dread December, I crave the summer days when we were young, but summer came with more of the same, the same old song that cuts so deep, it's sad to say I crave my grave. I, my fucking jaw dropped when he said I crave my grave. Like, that is legitimate, like, fucking, um, you know, MySpace status kind of shit, like, fucking tattoo that on me, dude. Like, I crave my grave is one of the coolest and most haunting lines I've heard in a song all year. And, like, again, it goes back to what I said before about, like, I never knew Phil had this in him. The ability to just get across these, you know, beautiful yet torturous lines with his clean delivery. And, God, I'm just... I, I, every time I hear Whitechapel nowadays and I talk about them, I feel so enamored and, like, almost at a loss for words as far as being able to get across just how much this project means to me nowadays. Um, the, the songs, um, the ones that made us to the wolves and without us, I think lean more into like, not the heavy, heavy side of Whitechapel, but just the, what I said earlier, like kind of metal based stuff and, and, and things that, um, like most other bands in metal that kind of like embody the sound. It's very, very hit or miss for me, but 
hearing Whitechapel do it, like, it makes so much sense. And I think they're able to bring these kind of ideas and concepts together in ways that I don't necessarily hear out of other metal bands whenever I venture into that territory, which isn't often, but just whenever I do, sometimes I'm, I feel like there's a lot to be desired. And Whitechapel fill that void perfectly with songs like those. Uh, Without You, which is a lead into Without Us, is like this really, really cool acoustic song. Um, and then I want to talk about, just briefly talk about Kin, the title track, and the closer on the record. So, the first half of it is this really, really beautiful acoustic track. And um, by the midway point, the rest of the band comes in. But like, it's not heavy. It, it feels very ballad-esque. I've said ballad a lot today, but most of the records I listen to, I feel like they did close off in that fashion. Uh, I'm definitely not complaining about it, especially for Whitechapel. And then, like, during that more uh, explosive sound that comes in later on, the uh, Phil comes back in with the chorus again. And I know you want us to be together, and I know it's hard to accept forever. Our delusion is the easy way out, but it's time for both of us to let this go. And I think closing the record on that line, but it's time for both of us to let this go, is, like, a hope on the part of Phil more than some kind of a mission statement. Like... He so badly wants this to be the end of the whole narrative that he's getting across. And, you know, we're going to have to see for the next Whitechapel record, whenever that happens, if this truly is the end. But I feel like that is such an open-ended way to close out a record. And, like, it kind of just leaves me, like, speechless and breathless and just kind of thinking, like, man, I, I really, really got to hear something that is, like, this captivating that is this moving and i feel so eternally grateful for it um i definitely do uh regret that nine and a half score i gave uh kin back when i reviewed it the reason for that was just like a slight preference of the valley and maybe thinking that on a song like the ones that made us um maybe certain certain things i love so much about the valley weren't necessarily met but just going back to Kin constantly over the last week, I, I, I feel like I'm finding new things to love about this record each time I hear it. And, you know, I haven't grown tired of it. I don't think I ever will. I hope I never do. Uh, if I ever grow tired of Kin, like, I might as well just stop talking about music because I clearly do not know what the fuck I'm saying. Um, this is amazing. This is a goddamn incredible record. I, you know, Whitechapel are, are on the run of their careers and it's crazy to think that it's happening this late into the game for them because they've been around for a minute now, like well over a decade. And they are, I don't want to say just now finding their sound because they found their sound a long time ago through Deathcore. But right now they are finding something that just works for them. And it's the perfect progression from what they had been doing previously. And I just, I, I can't imagine finding anything on kin to be boring like even if you're so heavily invested in Whitechapel's deathcore sound like just open your fucking ears dog like open your your mind and like give this a real chance because there is shit on this record that no band other than Whitechapel would have been able to do at least properly and with the prowess that Whitechapel have Whitechapel are one of the coolest bands out there kin is one of the coolest records out there you genuinely just like you cannot go wrong with this listening experience and i think it's something that if you just consider yourself to be like even marginally a fan of 
scene music nowadays and like that more um like melodic based enchanting side of it go into kin dude like please this record is fucking outstanding and so from one amazing band to another we now have a surprise drop i didn't know this was okay so I knew that they were going to put out an EP at some point soon. I didn't know it was going to be last Friday, and I didn't know that until Wednesday, I believe it was. So there was little time to prepare for this, but, you know, I'm, I'm always open to new material from this band because they truly are one of my favorite bands of all time. I think they are one of the best bands to come around in the scene over the last couple of years. And, you know, if you haven't, you know, gone out of your way to put respect on their name so far, you, you need to now, like, genuinely pay attention to them, listen to them, love them the way that I do. And I'm talking about Boston Manor and the EP Desperate Times, Desperate Pleasures. So let me briefly talk about some of the history of Boston Manor, or at least like how their history pertains to me, because there was a period where this band was putting out material and I just didn't really know about it. I, I'm sure I heard of Whitechapel or Whitechapel. I'm still thinking about Whitechapel. Uh, I heard about Boston Manor like in passing uh, through the Driftwood EP and then Be Nothing, which was their debut full length back in 2016. But they really didn't, like, show up on my radar until Halo dropped in the summer of 2018. Halo having been the lead single for Welcome to the Neighborhood, which, like, Welcome to the Neighborhood is one of the best albums I've ever listened to in my life. It was my 2018 record of the year. Uh, again, shameless plug, record of the year coming up next month. So listen to those chapters when they get uploaded. But yeah, Halo just... God... I'll never be able to say enough good things about Halo. Halo feels like a pinnacle song. Like, the way that people look at um, Doomsday by Architects or Shadow Moses by Bring Me the Horizon, like, that is Halo to me. Halo belongs in that conversation. Uh, and then, you know, just the rest of Welcome to the Neighborhood, like, it delivered everything I needed it to. And then Glue. Glue, like, when I think of the early pandemic stages that we were going through, Glue is the first record that comes to mind because it dropped at the start of May. I think May 1st was the actual like exact date uh, for Glue back in 2020. And there was just so much on Glue that like it almost hurts to listen to because of just how tumultuous that initial uh, quarantine and pandemic stage was for me personally. You know, I had a lot of just horrible shit going on, just some stuff that like I'm actually still dealing with in therapy i don't mean to like it too personal but just like that that's what that time period was like for me so i definitely hold glue in like such high regard considering like when i heard it and how well i felt that record got across some of the things i was feeling internally um so you know i i didn't necessarily know when we would get new material from boston manor i wasn't necessarily clamoring for it because i thought they still have to, have to tour glue and even with like uh, integrating songs from Glue into their setlist, they still have like a lot of Welcome to the Neighborhood to fall back on. So Boston Manor could have crafted the perfect live set out of just those two records. Um, and then Carbon Mono dropped back in August. I don't know if it was like without warning, but to me it felt like it came out of nowhere. Basically, Carbon Mono 
it kind of picks up a little bit of like where glue left off but i think somehow boston man are kind of like refined their own sound that was already perfect and managed to get across this really really sick alternative song that not only incorporates a lot of what was done properly on welcome to the neighborhood and glue but it also showed glimpses of what boston manor would be doing in the future algorithm was the next single after carbon mono i remember comparing that song to muse and i i don't know if that's actually like a really accurate uh portrayal of the song that people would agree with me with but that's definitely just what came across to me like it, it's boston manor's sound in like a, a, with like slightly different execution and like i don't want to say like pop based stuff but at least pop based compared to what they had been doing previously and I thought it was a really, really good song. I loved Algorithm, and by that point, I'm like, okay, Carbon Mono and Algorithm, I don't know when the EP is happening, but it feels like it's soon. I just didn't know it was going to be this soon. Uh, on the day that Desperate Pleasures got released as a single last Wednesday, I believe it was, uh, they were just like, yeah, uh, Desperate Times, Desperate Pleasures, this Friday. And I'm like, the fuck you just say to me, bro? Like, you... You, you can't just drop that on me. You can't just come out of the woodworks and be like, hey, new Boston Manor project out this week. Like, bro, you got to give me some time to prepare for this. You got to give me some time to promote this on my show. You got to like, you got to give me more of a notice on that. But I'm not fucking complaining. Like, it's new Boston Manor. I, yeah, give me new Boston Manor every fucking day for the rest of my life. Give me new Boston Manor. So then uh, there are two new songs on Desperate Times, Desperate Pleasures that didn't have singles treatment. The first one being, I don't like people and they don't like me. I understand why this one wasn't a single, but god damn it man, it should have been. This song is fucking amazing. My my favorite song from last week that was part of a, a, a record and not a single. Um, God, this song, it embodies that whole just like... Uh, brooding nature and the wariness to Boston Manor's uh, lyrical uh, concepts and execution. Um, God, I, I'm almost at a loss for words and I'm really, really stumbling. I don't like people and they don't like me is not only like just this true ass statement as it relates to my personal life, but it, it, it's, it's that emo-ness to Boston Manor that I was able to pull from welcome to the neighborhood and glue and just like make my own and just hold so close to my heart and make it part of my heart uh just to recite some of the lyricism from i don't like people and they don't like me i haven't left my bedroom for 16 days and i don't see why i would do when everything's so gray and you can say whatever you like there's no way that i'm going outside because i don't like people and they don't like me no they don't like me i'm a surface level freak no one's listening to me and i think i'm alone and all the walls are closing in can't remember where I've been. Man, I think I'm alone. I I hear I don't like people and they don't like me. And I just... Like, I'm like teleported into this fucking... Like, new universe where... I... I can take comfort in the isolation that I feel so much. And it's... It got... Like, that's such a weird thing to say. It's so weird to feel like so in tune with my emotions when listening to this kind of a song when those emotions are so dark and just like almost malevolent in a way and like this is boston manor just doing what they do best and that's getting across all of these like really really somber and depressing narratives in their songs 
in the most grandiose way possible, and I will forever love Boston Manor for that reason. Well, many reasons, but that one like comes out as a as a highlight. And then the closer is Let the Right One In, and similarly to what I've been saying about I don't like people and they don't like me, Let the Right One In showcases that really just like emo side to Boston Manor. Uh, it does it in a different way though compared to I don't like people. It, it's a slower song, but like that slow nature of it really really lends itself to establishing the overall theme of let the right one in um so the chorus goes i'd kill for you don't let them in don't let them in i'd die for you and it's just like this really really sick and twisted declaration that henry cox is like really really relaying and getting across throughout the entirety of the track and then the chorus or, or there's the song i mean closes with him just like faintly repeating the line don't let them in don't let them in and it's just like i i hear something like this and it 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 like tugs at my heart and it like pierces my heart if anything yet with that like blade that's going through me there's this like explosion in that blade of just these um these like varying ranges of emotions where i'm like am i supposed to be sad listening to this am i supposed to be happy am i like i don't know how to feel because i'm getting to listen to my favorite band of all or one of my favorite bands of all time just punch me in the fucking stomach over and over and over again and then once i'm like on my knees and fucking like coughing up blood they stab me and that's a really really weird way to explain like um th this visual image of like my listening experience to desperate times desperate pleasures but that's kind of what happened that's what like that that's that's what was coming to my brain and i god i just cannot fully emphasize enough what boston manor mean to me and how much i love this band like you guys generally do not understand and i don't know if i'll ever be able to make anybody understand boston manor like that name carries a lot of fucking weight to me like you know, when I think of, like, the bands that do that, for me, it's like, okay, if you tell me, like, Bring Me the Horizon, Paramore, Bless the Fall, Linkin Park, Icy Stars, Avenged Sevenfold, Early Avenged Sevenfold, but my point still stands, if you mention these things to me, there is, like, this really, really special emotion that you could see in my eyes, that you could hear in my tone of voice, and Boston Manor are getting themselves into that same category. They are one of the best bands I've ever listened to in my life. I'm so happy that I can have them in my life. And just, God, it, it, it's like Boston Manor is this black cloud hovering over me, yet it's not raining on me. It's just there protecting me from everything around me. And I'm so grateful for the existence of Boston Manor and grateful for the way that they have impacted my life. And now, you know, uh, uh, Welcome to the Neighborhood and Glue had such a profound effect on me, and I know that Desperate Times, Desperate Pleasures is on its way to being that same caliber of a record. This is a perfect release. I cannot e express enough just how perfect Boston Manor are, and, you know, if nothing else from this entire chapter, take away from it my adoration for Boston Manor. And that's it. That was every album and EP and single from last week that I had to talk about on this show. Um, I know this one ran long, and I do apologize for that, but I've already said this is kind of just going to be happening from now on through December 3rd, which is the 
cutoff date for um, the like year end stuff that I'm doing. Um, there, so all of the releases on December third, uh, I'm gonna upload everything to social media that day. So the singles reviews, the record reviews, and scenic overlook, they're all gonna go up on December third, and then I'm gonna take December fourth and fifth to uh, collect my thoughts and really, really make sure that the songs list is where I want it to be. And then Monday, December 6th is when the first part of that will be uploaded. And that'll uh, be the constant throughout the rest of the week until I get to the final episode, which will have the top 20 songs. Um, so either November 30th or d- December 1st is looking like the date for the final regular chapter of the year. So kind of, I guess just remember that. Um, yeah, really, really don't have much further to go in this year. And like I said earlier at the top of the show, it's fucking crazy to think that we're at this point, but we are. And I'm going to try to enjoy this, man. I, I, I think this is going to be a really, really big deal for me. And, you know, I don't expect anybody to listen to all parts of the songs list and the episodes list or not episodes list, the, um, the records list. But if for whatever reason you actually do that and you sit through the like litany of content that I'm going to be putting out for those two weeks. Uh, you're the fucking man, you're the shit and I'm forever in debt to you. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm going to close this off. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and get out of here and let y'all go back to doing whatever y'all were doing previously. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this chapter and as always for better or worse, let's make a scene.